All right, hey everyone, I'm here with Jeff Martin today. Uh, Jeff is an award-winning professional speaker, a certified coach, University of Guelph certified leadership professional, Harvard University certificate recipient for public speaking and the curator of Inspire Legacy Company Online Academy where he teaches the art of public speaking and student character development. Besides all that, he's a friend of mine and um, I just wanna officially welcome you. We were talking a little bit off camera there, but uh, I wanna welcome you to the podcast, uh, the Rise podcast. Thank you for being on here. And um, yeah, I appreciate you and our friendship and I have so many questions. Uh, let me know, first of all, did I miss anything in that introduction that you definitely wanted mentioned? No, I think you got it all, man. Listen, I am so uh, elated to be here on your podcast, your, your new platform that is going to do wonders in this world. I really do believe it will. And I'm just so, again, just delighted to be on here and just, you know, again, speaking with you and getting the chance to share and grow and learn and all that good stuff. Nice, nice. Um, so my goal here is just to provide as much value as I can to whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on Spotify or Apple. And we're going to touch on a few things here. And if there's things that you think that I'm going too far into, you just push me back. I kind of just go with the conversation and see where it leads. Um, Let's go with it. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of things that I read that I didn't think I had read before. Um, Jeff and I have both have a policing background. I'm a former police officer at RCMP. You're a current police officer with York Police. Um, I know youth motivational speaking is your passion, um, but you're still a law enforcement officer. This I knew. What I didn't know is that you had done, you have done over a thousand forensic interviews with children. Yeah. Tell me more about that and if that um, helps you at all in your youth motivational speaking. Absolutely. You know, I'm always, um, all, I've always been someone who wants to make a difference in the community. I want to help people to strive to grow, to become better. And so at some point in time within my policing, my law enforcement career, I said I wanted to go into the area of special victims unit where you're helping people who have really been victims of some of the most difficult and heinous crimes you can think of. And so during my time within that area, I did focus on students, on children, uh, specifically children who were sexually assaulted, uh, physically assaulted. You know, again, some of the most difficult things you can think of that some of these kids have gone through. And I have been fortunate enough to meet so many of them. And as you just talked about, forensically interview over a thousand kids kids who have been sexually assaulted, kids who have, you know, again, just really some of the most difficult things you can think of. They've been victims of that. And in that process of, of working in that area, that position, it really has helped me to adapt my speaking to the level of students, of children understanding. And so, you know, I really do have a love for our kids. And that's why I love to focus in on our students when it comes to public speaking, doing a lot of schools um, just because of that, because I, I feel that through the skills I've been able to learn from that job, I can use it while speaking to some of our students. Nice, nice. Um, and I can say firsthand, seeing the effect you have on students, I can tell that you really care about them because some speakers will go into um, their, you know, their you see them speak and they do a great job and then they leave. One thing I loved about you and I noticed that when you, we spoke at the same conference, you not only spoke, but after you were done, you took as many questions as people had. You went out into the hallway and they continued to ask questions. You gave them a group hug. I still remember you had a group hug circle with a bunch of the kids that started to tell you things that they might not, I, I might be stretching here, they may not even have told their parents. You're right. And that, what kind of impact does that, or what feeling does that give you to have them tell you things that they may not even have told people that they've known for years longer, just based on a one hour speech. I mean, I think that's a powerful thing to, a powerful impact to have. Um, it, tell me more about how that feels and what that experience is like when you do that. Yeah, absolutely, Quace. I, I got to tell you, whenever I think about those situations, it really does, even to this day, have me choked up. Because I think that all of us have a gift. I think we're all born with, with something that we're good at, and we can use that skill to build on to become really extremely great at it. 
And at some point in time in my life, I started to realize that I did have a gift in public speaking. And, you know, I might not be the best public speaker by any means, but I recognized that I was able to really touch the hearts and minds of people who were in the crowd. And so that's why I do what I do. That's why I always study the craft because I want to become better. And, you know, exactly what you're speaking about in so many circumstances when I've gone out to uh, some of these schools and even with adults as well, with, with, um, with organizations, after I, I go through my story and I, I share and I kind of do my presentation or even during the presentation, oftentimes, depending what I'm speaking about, I will see um, you know, the emotions build up in some of the people in the audience. I will see the tears. I'll see, you know, it, it really all does come out based on the words that I'm saying and the stories that I'm sharing. And I, I love it to see that because it just shows that I'm really digging into the heart and soul of that individual. It's not about just surface talking. And, you know, we know speakers out there who are just in it for the money. And I'm not knocking anybody specifically because, you know, in any industries, people are out there for the wrong reasons. They're out there to make money. For me, though, it's deeper than that. For me, it really comes down to transforming somebody's life. Because the truth is, Quace, is that I do believe that when I get an opportunity to speak in front of whether it be two people, whether it be 2,000 people, the truth of the matter is, is that somebody in that audience my voice may be the last voice of reason that they'll ever hear. Mm. And mm. so if I don't say the things that need to be said, if I don't allow the words to flow through me and go to that individual, then they may leave there and decide to take their own life. Yeah. They may leave there and decide that they're going to pick up a gun and go out there and do something they shouldn't be doing. And the reason why I know this is because I've had conversations with people afterwards. You speak about, you know, after my presentation, how the crowd has come around me and, you know, the, the, the conversations that we've had um, with that particular one you're speaking about, man, I don't remember. I think we were out there for another hour and a half to two hours, maybe after the presentation, just really going deeper with a smaller group, just in the middle of the hall. And again, it's, those things are important to me because, you know, I can always be on stage and pick, make people laugh and, you know, share my stories. But when people start to share their stories with me, of what they've been through. And like you said, sharing things that they haven't even told their own parents or their own loved ones, you know, it, it shows me that I have a bigger purpose. It's not about me, it's not about Jeff. It's about what I can give to the world with what I have and how I can help people to excel through their difficulties. So yeah, those, those type of situations are so important to me. And that's what's kind of made it hard for me during this COVID time, because you can give a virtual presentation and it's all good, but it's those after conversations for me that are just so touching that you don't really get in the same aspect when it comes to virtual speaking. Yeah. You get it on social media, but you know, like just to be able to, um, and I see you almost like a father figure, especially when you have your arm around somebody and you know, and they, they come up and you, you give a big papa hug to them. Uh, that, that's <laughs> just not there uh, right now. And Correct. I'm sure some of the students you've spoken for miss you. I mean, Jeff, won't say this because he's a humble guy, but he has a quote of his up in a school hallway. Um, I don't know where I saw it, if it's out in the East Toronto, uh, but that's how much impact he has when he speaks, that they're taking his quotes and putting them up on their walls, which I think is yeah, awesome. Yeah, man, yeah. I was so taken back when I saw that. And uh, again, it just it just shows me that I need to continue on my path. And And, you know, again, we're virtual now. And if that's all we have, then we work with it. Because again, like as we go through the problems that we go through in life, I'm talking about on a regular, in a regular year, on a regular day, not even with COVID or the racial issues that we've had in 2020, on a regular day, people are going through problems. So mm -hmm. then you add COVID to that, you add the racial issues to that, you add the fact that people are losing loved ones. It, it's, it's a lot. And so, yeah, I think it's so important just to continue to share your gift and your voice because it really can make a difference in someone's life. It definitely, definitely does. Um, I guess what I want to ask is a word of advice to um, maybe parents, because I, I should have mentioned too, uh, you speak to corporate, you speak to parents, uh, you speak about diversity and inclusion as well as, you know, self-worth. And I mentioned before that sometimes you may be hearing things that they don't tell their parents. Um, how as a parent, and you have three boys, I think it is, three boys? I do. I do have and three boys, yes. It's a busy house. Uh, yeah, you have a full house. Uh, so what would you say to a parent when it comes to 
um, getting their kids to open up more. Because you may have heard things, like I said, that the kids aren't telling their parents. So if a parent's listening to this and saying, okay, well, how do I have that impact in my home like Jeff so that my kids talk to me uh, more at a deeper level, what would you say? You know, one of the things I, I speak about is the Clark Kent syndrome. And, and what that is, is that our children will always see us as supermen and superwomen. They'll always see us that way. And we have seen our parents that way just because, you know, when and children are growing up, that their mother or their father or, or that, that, that guardian in their life has always been the person who's made sure food was on the table. They made sure there was a roof over their head. They paid for soccer or basketball, whatever extracurricular, you know, activity that child is doing. That parent or that guardian has always been the Superman or Superwoman. But I think it's important that we show our children the Clark Kent's. And what that is, is, you know, Superman is always big and strong and his hair is always perfect. However, the Clark Kent, uh, when it comes to Clark Kent, he's nerdy. He's he's dorky. You could see that he has issues. He has problems. You could see that he's not perfect. And I think it's important that we share that side with our children. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Like with my children, especially my older one, every time he every birthday that he has and he gets one year older, I sit down and I talk to him and I say to him, you know, I've never parented an 11 year old before. And so this is brand new to me. You know, I have, you know, obviously your brothers, before, you know, after you, you know, you, but, but because you are the first at this age, I've never had to parent a 10 year old, 11 year old before. And it's going to be different for daddy. I'm learning as I go along. I want them to see that I'm learning, not that I know everything. And of course, I can't necessarily go in his head and change his thinking of who I am in that Superman phase. However, I can show him that daddy has flaws. There's some days that daddy's going to be really tired and I don't want to play. I'm going to try to play, but there's sometimes I don't want to play. There's sometimes that daddy's going to be maybe a little bit snippy and it's not your fault. And I'm going to try not to do that. But I just want you to know that sometimes that's going to happen. If we as parents can just be honest with our children in that aspect, it, it just shows our, our, our children that they that, that we are human so to speak. We are not just that Superman and Superwoman, but we're someone who has flaws because God knows I have flaws. Now that I'm older and I can see my parents, I know they have flaws, but I didn't see them growing up. But if my parents kind of expose them to me in the way of this is who I am and you know we have to love who we are and yeah, I'm going to make mistakes. Yeah, there's some days I'm going to be really tired. I'm going to be really mad. If we can show our children that side of us, the Clark Kent in us, then I think it, it adds to them being open and honest because they can see that, again, it's not that perfect person that we have to be looking at all the time. Daddy makes mistakes, so I can make mistakes as well. I think that's very important too, that we don't, they have flaws, we don't see them until we're older. And yeah. to expose that. And one of the, in one of my workshops, I teach authenticity. And in my, in authenticity, I say, we have to share our four Fs um, to show that we're authentic. Our first our flaws, our frustrations, and our failures. Mm. And you're saying that in a beautiful way, superhero um, imagery, which I love, <laughs> showing our kids the Clark Kent. So maybe sitting down at the dinner table and saying, or sitting down with them and just saying, okay, listen, this is who I may be at times and I don't mean to be this way. Uh, maybe even sharing some of the times when they didn't know, all, you, didn't, you didn't have all the answers. Absolutely. And, and then, okay, okay. Now that's a huge tip for parents. Um, yeah. And, yeah, that, that's really, that's really good. And maybe that's something that the kids see in you when you share your stories, because I know you're big on storytelling. You don't just say, okay, this is what you need to do, ABC, in order yes. to have self-worth. You share your stories. And one of your stories that you share uh, is, a, is a sad one about your, your cousin, uh, Omar, I believe it yes. is. I went through and I read his book. And by the way, make sure you pick up this anthology book. You, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't, you're I wouldn't come prepared, did you? Oh, man, I appreciate that very much. Thank no, you. No, no, I got you, man. I got you. So Jeff's chapter in here uh, is called The Ugly Gift. And he talks about uh, Omar, which is uh, your cousin. Who, yes. Um, and you'll correct me if I'm mistaking any of the details, but... It was a was it a gang shooting and he lost his life or was it not even that related? Just let me know um, yeah. a little more about that. Yeah, no, it wasn't gang related at all. Uh, Omar was not known to be a part of any gang, um, and, and you know the truth is to this day we don't know much. We don't have much detail. The uh, the the shooter or shooters, the people who are responsible, um, we don't know who they are. And the police know who they are. The police, you know, they did their investigation. 
for one reason or the other, they never came to a conclusion of, of making any type of arrests. And so, yeah, to this day, it's been, you know, some time now and we don't know the, the, the details of what really took place and why. Okay. Well, I'm sorry that I mentioned it that way. Um, no, you know, that's okay. Assumptions. Uh, but that, that's a sad thing to happen. Like you, you lose someone that was close to you and you had so many things piled up on you. Not only the sadness of the situation, not only the feeling of vengeance. I want to get back at these people. Um, you're a police officer and you have more of the means to get back at these people. Like you had some thoughts in your head, but not only that, you had relatives that asked you to do more that were expecting you to be yeah. Superman, if you will. Yes. Listen, man, you're in. Solve this case. Yes. Um, how, did was you, one of the, how did you deal with all that? Yeah, that, that was one of the toughest pieces because here are people that you absolutely love, people that you see that are in pain. I, you know, I was in a lot of pain. If you lose a loved one in any fashion, you know what that feels like. To lose a, lump, a loved one at the hands of somebody else, you know, the level of pain just goes up. And so, yeah, to, to have family around me and they're, you know, they're saying to me, Jeff, you're a police officer now. You got to go out and solve this. And I'm like, it doesn't work that way. Like, I didn't even know how to write a ticket, let alone go solve a murder. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then, you know, that was one piece. Another piece, it wasn't even in the jurisdiction that I was working in. So there's so many elements to it. But you know, it's the pain of, of what everybody was feeling that was driving them to say, we need answers. Who can give us answers? Jeff has a foot in the door, even though it's in the wrong door. Jeff has a foot in the door. Jeff, you got to go out there and get this done for us because that was your family. You love him. So let's get this done. Those people, those officers who are supposed to be investigating, they don't know Omar like we did. And so because you know him, he's your family, he's your blood. Go out there and solve this thing. And so that was one of the hardest pieces for me because here I am struggling with the anger of losing him, the hurt of losing him, and, and to see their hurt, my family members hurt, added to my pain. Because I, you know, for those who know me, I'm a lover, I'm a hugger, you know, I, I'm, I really care about people. As I talked about earlier, I want to transition people's lives to help them to go while they're going through difficulty. And I, I always want to be engaged in, the, in situations like that. And so when I see my family's pain, it becomes my pain. And so that's what drove me to wanting to go out there and seek revenge. But yes, as you talked about, that was one of the hardest things to deal with was having my family look at me almost like a failure to say, Jeff, why are you doing more? Yeah. And, and that's, that's a tough thing to deal with. Um, and then there's also the forgiveness for something that wasn't solved. Like, yeah, uh, how, how does someone, and maybe not even in the same situation, how does someone go from uh, vengefulness to forgiveness or even you know spitefulness to forgiveness it doesn't have to be a death in the family but just someone who did you wrong and and you have this feeling inside how do you get over that how do you move past that you know forgiveness is such a powerful thing it's something that i don't believe everybody really truly comprehends when it comes down to forgiveness it's more about you than it is about that other individual that who's done you wrong and you know some time ago you know, I think, Quace, I think you're very similar to me where you consume a lot of, of self-help stuff, uh, motivational stuff. And so Brene Brown, I was watching an interview with her a while ago, and she was speaking about a certain question. And she said, are people doing the best that they can with the tools that they have? And, you know, I really sat with that one for a while. You know, I started to ask different people to kind of get their opinion. Are people doing the best that they can with the tools that they have? And... I had to come to the conclusion at the end of it that the people who did this to Omar, the people who took him from us, I had to conclude that they were doing the best that they can. Now, hear me out. Of course, they took Omar's life. They killed someone. That, that is a crime. That is something that causes pain uh, to, to our family, you know, probably for the rest of our life. However, I, I don't know who's responsible, but when I do work with students who are in the prison system, when I do work with kids who have gone down that wrong path, I quickly see and understand that there's no child out there who says, I want to grow up to be a murderer. There's no two-year-old that says, I want to grow up to rob a bank. At some point in time within their life, I believe they have been let down. Whether it be by parents, maybe, maybe a father's not in their life, whether it be by the school system, whether it be by the judicial system, at some point in time, these kids start to believe that the only way out, the only way to survive is to go and do a certain crime. 
And so when I look at it at that angle, I can start to envision the people who took Omar from us. And I say to myself, if that's the way they, and again, it's all speculation. I don't know who's responsible, but again, working with very similar youth, I have to think to myself at that moment, they believe that that was the right thing to do to take Omar's life for whatever reason that was. So maybe they're Can't. acting within the world that they know. And that's, that's exactly all they're doing. That's exactly what I'm saying. Someone who was raised with two parents and maybe mom's a lawyer and dad's a doctor, the chances of them going off the rails and now becoming a gangster is very minimal because they're surrounded by positivity. They're surrounded by influence. Like chances are if dad's a doctor, his friends are doctors, his friends are influencers. And so even the crowd that mom and dad keep, the parties at the house or, you know, the, 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 the Christmas, you know, dinners, you're going to have influential people constantly around you. On the other side, I have met very many uh, kids, students who, as soon as they walk out of the door, they see prostitution, they see drugs, they see the guy driving in that expensive car and he's the head, head gangbanger or he's the head drug dealer in the neighborhood. And they don't have the positive influence that some other people have. And so they're going to grow up believing that they can't achieve at certain things because the surrounding, the things that they continue to see and hear feeds into who they believe they're going to become. Mm. And so based on that, yeah, when it comes to forgiveness, man, I, I really believe that forgiveness is so important. And as a saying says, um, when you're upset with somebody, it's like drinking poison and expecting them to die. And, you know, you can sit here and be fuming at someone and that other person has no idea. They're living their life. They're having fun. They're partying. And you are fuming to the point where your blood pressure is going up. Right. It's changing the, the chemicals in your body because you're so upset and now it's causing you stress. And so, yeah, it's so important to learn to forgive. And again, going back to that question, are people doing the best that they can? I think that's another podcast episode in itself. Right. Yeah. yeah uh, doing the best you can with what you have. Um, yeah. And, and what you mentioned there, uh, like, you know, if your parents are a doctor and a lawyer, what do you say about the fact that it might just be one person, right? Uh, because, you know, there are people out there that, you know, their parents are both professionals and they're are surrounded by mentors. For some people, it's just one person. Like I grew yes. up in a single parent home. I grew up in Rexdale outside of my door. Things like what you just mentioned were happening. I yes. know people got shot and people that got murdered. Um, and I was raised by one caring adult, which is my mother. Mm. And sometimes that's all it takes is one. And you have a similar story. You know, you had that kind of vengefulness that in your heart. And you had a mentor that came into your life, a police officer. Uh, I think it was a supervisor that cared about you um, and asked you, like, how are you doing? Not like yeah. just suck it up and get back to work. Because, you know, in policing mentality, that tends to be the case. I had uh, that too. Yes. Far, far too much. But he's like. Jeff, no, 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 seriously, how are you doing? And then he told you his similar story. So all it takes sometimes is one person. So if you're yes. listening to this, you don't have to have parents that, you know, if you do have the parents that are both professionals, both in the home, excellent. But if yes. you have one person around you, and I think that's what you're doing for some of the kids at some of the schools and some of the prisons that you speak, speak at, it's that one person, right? Absolutely. Being that person for, for some of these kids is so important. And, uh, you know, I want to take a quick second just to shout out Rexdale. I don't know if I knew you were from Rexdale. I'm not sure if we knew that, but, okay. you know, we're obviously from the same hood. You know what I mean? So <laughs> next, next, yeah. I went I to dig deeper. Highfield, okay. Smithfield, Naki. I didn't make it to Naki because my mother moved me uh, to uh, Mississauga by that point. Really? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. went to Smithfield and Naki. So we'll have to oh, talk okay. about that off air. Okay. <laughs> so we could have been friends from Thai. Okay. See? Yeah, that's funny. That, we'll have to talk about that off the air. Um, world than, than we think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely it is. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, you know, kind of going back to what we're saying, it's, it's it, again, it's just so important that we, you know, I, I think it's important that we show representation, allow people to see what they can look like, what they can be, what they can sound like, because if they never see it, then they never know that they can become it. You never know that you could become a doctor or an entrepreneur, uh, an investor until you see someone, not necessarily looks like you, but someone that you can relate to that can show you, oh, I can do this. Why? Because this person has done it. 
and you know just racial it might be social or economic yeah similarities it doesn't have to be because we're black or anything yeah no it doesn't have to be and sometimes it is of course but you know with anything that you can relate to with somebody and you start to see yourself in them when they are 10 steps ahead of you you now can see the path in front of you if that's what you want to do because someone who resembles you someone who sounds like you someone's from your neighborhood because they've done it so now you can recognize that you can do it too and, you know, another thing I want to say as well is that that mentor that, that you talked about, that person who approached me, he was the exact opposite of me. So I was brand new in the police service and he was on for 20 something years. Like he was a senior. Um, I was a brand new cadet and he was four or five ranks ahead of me. Um, I was white. Sorry. He, he was white. <laughs> he was white. I was black. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Yes. Yes. (laughs) He was white. I was black. Um, Again, I was young, brand new on the job. He was older. There was so many opposites in my mind. And at one point in my life, I would have said, this person can't understand what I'm going through just because visually I would have believed that they can't relate. However, because he was able to go through or unfortunately he went through something very similar where he lost a loved one in a violent way when he first got on the job, he was able to match my story and he understood my pain. And so it was through that, that connection that really helped me to propel me forward to become who I am today. Nice, nice. And now back to what you're saying about, um, you know, environment. And I think environment is very key. Um, And you probably listen to self-help and read and study so that you can get around people that are where you want to be. Um, And we didn't grow up with entrepreneurial parents necessarily, or I didn't anyways, I don't think you did either, um, that knew a lot about growing a business, but now you're an entrepreneur and I'm an entrepreneur. How do you now kind of instill that in your kids, right? So that they know more about things that you may not have known about much growing up how do you how do you change the game for them yeah you know so so kind of going back to what you just talked about my parents both parents were actually entrepreneurs however so my mother was a florist she actually owned a flower shop and my dad uh in in different times within our, our lives growing up he would own his own cleaning company saying that though i didn't know that when you became an entrepreneur I didn't know that you can actually use that avenue, that 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 vehicle to actually make a lot of money and be successful. My parents were working all the time and they were always, and my mom was always in the store. My dad was always doing his thing cleaning and money was always tight in the house. And so my parents understood their skill. My mom was a beast when it came to making flowers, but she didn't knew nothing about business. And so... I've come to learn now as an adult that you have to be a beast at your skill, but you also have to understand the business piece. And if you don't understand the business piece, then you hire someone, you get people to fill in the gaps, the voids of the areas that you don't understand because your skill is no good if you can't do anything with it. And so that's one of the lessons I learned. And so for me, as I talked about monetarily, there was issues in the home growing up. You know, unfortunately we were homeless twice in my life. And now that I'm older and I understand this Canadian system, my parents weren't born here, but I fully understand the Canadian system, whether it be the educational system, the financial system, I'm changing the game for my own children. There's a saying that says, don't give your children what you didn't have, give them what you didn't know. And what I didn't know was that, you know, you can take things and and sell them and make money. What I didn't know was that you can take money, invest it, and it can turn into something if you're investing into stocks or properties. And so as I got older and started to fully comprehend it and not be scared of it, because I was super scared of stocks. I thought it was like an old rich guy thing, but (laughs) it, it really isn't. If you take the time to fully understand it, you can now grow your own portfolio. And so because I understand it now as an adult, I teach it to my children. So at 11 and seven years old, my youngest one is two. He has no idea what's going on. But my, but my 11 and seven-year-old, they understand stocks. They know the definition of a bull market, a bear market. They know what a PE ratio is. They know what a, you know, a lot of the definitions are. And I have them buying. They can't do it officially, but they're buying stocks under my account, Nike and you know Tesla. And they're understanding it because the way I see it is if I can teach it to them now at 11 and seven, 
then who are they going to be at 47? Yeah. You know what I mean? Who are they going to be? And so I'm giving them the tools that I didn't have and I didn't know to help to propel them. I'm super excited about that too, uh, because I started investing in stocks late as well, um, like ETFs and, you know, yes. stocks, you know, creating residual income. And I started doing that in my 30s. And I'm super excited for Phoenix because he's going to start at least 20 years before me. Yes. With an understanding that I didn't have and no one taught me. And I'm not blaming my mother at all. She just didn't know. Um, I, I invested for her as an adult. Once I started to do it, I'm like, listen, give me some of that money you got in your RSPs. Right. Let's, let's invest it right. Um, and so, yeah, we take that knowledge. And then we, you know, as you write in your book, the second book, which I have right here. If you have kids, you need to get brothers from the six or a daughter, sisters from the six, especially if you're in Toronto. Don't worry, Jeff, I got you. I <laughs> appreciate it, man. <laughs> in it, I love what you wrote. Um, let me just read it here. Uh, your, I don't want to get it wrong. It's at the beginning of the book where I say to JMCM and KM. My ceiling is your floor. I do what I do because of you. My ceiling is your My floor. ceiling is your floor. I thought it was on your um, about page, but no, it's it at the beginning. But I love that. My ceiling is your floor. And to me, that says that as high as I can go, you start there. And I want to push you way higher than I ever Absolutely. went. Is, is that Absolutely. what it means to you? Like, how did you come up with that? That's exactly what it means to me. And I, I probably heard it along the way, but it's something that's just resonated with me, being a father. Uh, not just a father, but a father of three boys. It's one thing to be a father, you know, don't get me wrong. If I had little girls, I would love them to death. But knowing that I have three boys, meaning that it, it means to me that they're going to be walking directly in my steps. If I had a girl, she'd be, you know, following my wife a little bit and following me a little bit. My sons are going to be walking directly in my steps. And it doesn't mean that my wife doesn't have an influence. Of course she does. But as a man, I know that the way I treat my wife my sons are watching and that's how they're going to treat their girlfriends and their wives in the future. You know, the way I handle finances, my children are watching. And it's important for me to, again, teach them the things that I know. And then again, as we talked about earlier, talk about the things that I don't know, but I'm learning so they can understand that these are the gaps, the areas that dad may be lacked in and I can kind of build in, build on for myself as I get older. It's making them strong, making them resilient, especially in the world that we live in. We saw the issues happening with the racial piece uh, in 2020. It scares me because my boys right now, everyone looks at them and says, oh, my goodness, they're so cute. But at some point in time, there's a line and they're going to cross over the line from being cute to being scary. And that's what scares me. And so I need to do what I have to do to prepare them the best I can, whether it be setting themselves financially, whether it be the real estate business, which we're hoping to kind of venture into as well um, within the near future. It's showing them, giving them the tools they need. And as again, as you said, if I can reach a certain level, then that's where they start. There's no need to start behind me. There's no need to start, you know, two steps behind dad. Because everything I have, the knowledge and the skills and the abilities, it is my job to give it. And not only just to my kids, but to kids within our community who need it as well. Because we talked about earlier, a lot of these kids don't have this knowledge. They don't have this understanding. No. And it's, so it's about giving it to them so they can as well start where I finish. And yeah, and they give, and not only they get the knowledge, they get the belief that they can yes. do anything. And on the race piece, what do you tell them about 2020 and COVID and the and the issues that we have with race um, and what's going on south of the border and to a lesser extent here too, um, how do you prepare them to be resilient young men? You know, I, I really show them. So I talked about what happened this year with George Floyd. You know, they saw a very small piece of the video. I didn't want to show them the whole thing because I don't think at the age they're at that they need to see it uh, it's in its entirety. Uh, mm -hmm. However, I showed them a very small, the beginning clip, just to show them the, the differences, the unfairness that was happening. And then I, I, I lead with that to say life is sometimes not fair. And because of somebody's skin color, because of somebody's religion, because of somebody's gender, sometimes people are not treated fairly. And unfortunately, uh, us who are black, sometimes we don't get the same opportunities as other people. And mm -hmm. so I, I show them that and not to scare them by any means, but to show them that this is the world we live in. 
And also, how can we build from that? Like, we don't want this world to remain the same. So how do we build to make this world better for other people? How do we make this world better for ourselves so we can give to other people? And that's how I, I have the conversation to show them that despite what's going on, it doesn't mean that they have barriers. Well, we all have barriers, but it doesn't mean that barrier has to stop you. Sometimes you have to fight a little bit more to get past that barrier, to, to climb that mountain, but you can still climb it nonetheless. You can still get through it nonetheless and become who you're supposed to be. Yeah, then talk about that then too. What role does history play in that? And this can go for any race, anybody at all, but what role does explaining our history to our children have in building their self-confidence and resilience? Because I know in one of your talks, you, you, you hammer the point home, you say there's no president, there's no basketball player, there's no singer, there's no actor that can stop you from being the person you want to be. Yes. How do we uh, balance that belief that they can do anything with the fact that sometimes there are barriers that we do have to push through and maybe push a little bit harder? How do you balance that? So I show them that we always have opportunity and it's up to us to use that opportunity. So going back, um, to my parents, my parents were born in Jamaica and not just in Jamaica, they were born and raised in a very rural area of Jamaica. So the opportunities and the monies was, was very slim. My parents came to Canada, got a house, um, were able to create a life for myself and my siblings. When my parents die, I'm not gonna get a, a, a bunch of money sitting waiting for me. Like there's no dowry sitting waiting for me. There's no inheritance. I don't have you know three farmlands and 18 homes waiting for me. I don't have that waiting for me. In fact, there might be some debt. Who knows? You know what I'm saying? No private island waiting for you. <laughs> no, no private island waiting for me. But what my parents were able to give me was opportunity, right? Let's go back even further to grandparents, great-grandparents, because I know my background, my heritage. I know that I come from, my parents come from Jamaica, which means that um, the people there, uh, my, my, my forefathers were enslaved um, coming from Africa. Again, they never left any money or land for me right? Based on the circumstances, but what they were able to give was opportunity. And, you know, there's times I can really push myself because I look at the fact of, I know that I had a great, great ancestor who wasn't allowed to sit and relax. They weren't allowed to sit and watch, binge watch Netflix all day. They were forced to, to be in those fields. They were forced to work. They were forced to, to be slave, to be enslaved without a choice. And so when I look at that, I'm like, okay, well, I need to keep going. And it doesn't mean I don't rest. It doesn't mean I don't sit on the couch with my wife and watch a couple of shows. It doesn't mean I don't do that. But I know that there's a bigger mission ahead because the people who've come before me, I am standing on their shoulders. And because I stand on their shoulders, I need to ensure that I can stretch and reach as tall as I can so the generation after me can stand on my shoulders. Because of the time that we live in, technology has changed things. So you no longer have to worry about um, working at a job and getting laid off. And those things, of course, they still happen. And we do have to think about that. But people are making money online like never before. You're getting people who are in China who are buying items, people who are in Brazil who are buying items from someone who's in Canada or the US. And so the opportunities have grown. And so it's important for me to understand, to adapt to this, the, the, the world that we live in and grow with it and find ways that I can make money through it, I can survive, I can become the best version of me through it, and then pass it on to my children. Again, giving them opportunity. Opportunity doesn't always mean money. Sometimes it can, but mm. sometimes, and, and to be honest, probably most times, it's the education that we pass on. Not book smart from school, but the, the knowledge and skills that I have learned as being a human, as being a man, as being a black man, passing it on to my children and then showing them that they can excel. As you talked about, my ceiling is their floor. Excel from where I end and, and take off and do what you have to do to become the best version of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And with for you, obviously, the big one of the big things that you do is, is you speak and that's your gift. What do you say to people when they don't know their gift, when they don't know their purpose? Um, I mean, they might say, hey, Jeff, it's easy uh, for you to be passionate, for you to push forward every day because you know, hey, you're a speaker, you're there to help people, you're there to be an uplifter. And yeah. so you just go forward with that. What if, what if I don't know? 
you know, if someone doesn't know, there's three questions that I ask them to review every single day, and sometimes two or three times a day. The questions are, who am I? What do I want? And what's my purpose? Who am I? What do I want? And what's my purpose? When you ask yourself, who am I? It gives you an opportunity to, to, to define who you are, not for the world to define who you are. If I ask the world who I am, they're going to tell me as a black man, I'm a criminal. I'm a drug dealer. I'm supposed to be in jail. I'm supposed to be dead. I've heard people tell me that. Literally, they've told me that. If I allow the world to define who I am, then I never become the speaker who I am today, the author who I am today, the things, the ideas that I have that I'm hoping that will manifest before I leave this world because I get to define who I am. So who am I? Who am I is the first question. What do I want? Not what someone else wants, not what your mom and dad want for you. I, I want you to grow up and become that doctor. No, what do I want? What do I want for my life? Like, what is it that I want to fulfill while I'm here? And then the last question, what is my purpose? What do you believe your purpose is? Why do you think you were put on the earth right now? Like the age you're at now, experiencing 2020 right now, experience, experiencing COVID right now. Like, why weren't you born in the 1912s? Why weren't you born in 2042? You were born when you were born and you're the age you're at now and you're experiencing 2020 at this age. Why is that? If we ask ourselves these three questions, who am I? What do I want? What's my purpose? I believe it starts to bring clarity. You may not get the answers right away, but the more you ask yourself these questions, it helps to bring clarity to your life so you can now start to move towards the purpose that you believe that you have for this world. Nice. I like those. I like those questions. Um, and I was when I was listening to a podcast today, um, and one of the things that was mentioned uh, was Jay Shetty, and I was listening yes. to him say that if you don't know, one thing to do is to start doing things. So take your weekends and go to events, uh, take up you know something like a course or something, and pick things to do every single weekend for a month. And just the worst thing that can happen is you pick a bunch of things that you don't like to do but you may find a spark in there. Um, I don't know what your introduction was to speaking. Maybe tell me about that. Uh, my introduction was Toastmasters. I'm not sure what it was. What was it for you that started to lead you into knowing that, hey, listen, this speaking thing, I can go somewhere with this. Yeah, you know, I, I got to tell you, I was actually thinking about this the other day. Like what really led me down to the path to where I am today? And I think for me, I, I know what it was for me was the passion of wanting to make change in people's lives. So I distinctly remember thinking to myself, I'm a police officer. I'm a black police officer. I know that there's kids out there who will, as soon as I tell them who I am, what I do, I can grab their attention and now I can help them. And so I, I started to just, you know, email schools and I said, Hey, listen, you know, I'm a police officer. I grew up in a tough neighborhood. So I know what that feels like. And I'm hoping just to come to your school and talk to your kids. And one of the schools emailed back and she said, she said, where have you been all my life? <laughs> and so we sat down, we worked something out. And I've actually been working with that school uh, for the past five years. Oh. And this is, you know, I, I believe this predates me even listening to any motivational stuff. It, it was a passion of me for me of just wanting to try to be a change in someone's life. Now, I remember my first session talking to these kids. I stood in front of them and I'm like, okay, now I'm going to try to speak and share my story. And it was awful. It was a mess. It was all over the place. It didn't, there's no rhyme or reason. Um, it didn't flow the way I wanted it to flow. But at the end of the day, a couple of the students came up to me and said, you know, Jeff, that was actually pretty good, man. We actually learned some stuff there. And it was through that method. I said, let me see if I can kind of learn some tips and tricks from other speakers to kind of share my message better since I'm going to, you know, teachers, the principal said, come back next month. So I'm like, okay, let me see if I can work on something. And it was through that, that I really started to dig into some of the other speakers that are out there learning and growing and see what they do. Some of the greats from Les Browns and ETs to, you know, there's a ton of them out there, of course, uh, Zig Ziglar, and just learning what some of these guys do and how they do it, and what made them successful. And that's what really set me on the path. So that's why I'm so proud of that because it wasn't about me becoming a speaker. It was about me wanting to make change. And so I think when you lead with that. Anything else. What's that? Your why preceded, uh, you know, you becoming a speaker. Yes, absolutely. So that, that, was, that was stronger, knowing your why, knowing your purpose. 
and the vehicle just happened to be speaking. Uh, something yes. said in there I want to touch on before I forgot. I love it that because action doesn't only cure fear, action cures failure. Because mm. you took action by speaking at that school when you weren't ready, when you just wanted to make a change. And your passion and your heart for the kids made a couple of kids come up to you, even though, as you say, your speech wasn't that great at the time. Uh, yes. So, you know, there's a message in there about failure, right? I mean, do you do you talk about failure uh, being necessary, being part of the process when you talk to your your kids or other kids? Um, and, you know, I may, not, I may not have met you if you didn't decide to fail before getting it right. Absolutely. Failure is a part of the process. It is a part of the, the, the what you have to do if you're trying to get from A to B. Because nobody is great at the beginning. You know, some people have a skill and they're a little bit better than others, maybe a lot better than others. But if they really want to excel, they have to work on it. You know, Michael Jordan didn't just, he didn't just walk into the NBA. LeBron James didn't just walk into the NBA. These guys worked on their game every single day. And what makes LeBron James so great, what makes Kobe Bryant so great, is that these guys put in the work even after the fact of being in the NBA. So when all the other players go on vacation at the end of the year, these guys are working. When all the players are, you know, taking it easy at the end of a game, they're back in the gym putting in more hours because they're trying to become great. So a failure is a part of it because you have to try. And if it doesn't work, then you try something else and you pivot. And eventually you're going to find what works for you. Like, I, I like you know, there's, there's schools that I've gone to in the past and while I'm speaking – the alarm goes off or the, the morning announcements go off. And I'm like, really? Like I'm, you know, getting my, my, I'm on, have my momentum going. I'm about to jump into a good point and then beep, 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 or something goes off or the principal's talking over the mic. You know, there's times I've walked into a school and they're like, yeah, I know we said, you know, we'll give you half an hour, but really we got 10 minutes. So do what you got to do and come off the stage. And I'm like, Whoa, you know, and sometimes you feel real disrespected. Like I've come out here to do my thing. However, because I've continued, I, I didn't give up. I tried and I failed and I tried and I failed. I've been able to find my level of, of um, perfection, so to speak. And, you know, I'm not perfect by any means, but find what works for me to the point where, yeah, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have schools calling me and organizations calling me because I've worked on it. So it's no longer about, OK, who's this guy, Jeff? It's about, oh, Jeff, Mar yeah, I've heard of him and let's get him in. And I'm super humbled because of that. But that happens when you continue to when you continue to try and you fail, but then you get back up and do it again. You do it again. Um, I want to, as we're finishing off here, I want to ask a question. And if this has happened to you, have before you found speaking, before you called that teacher up and went to the school, you probably had that feeling inside you, like, man, I want to do more than just be a police officer. I want to transform lives. Did you ever run into any emotional friction, like, man, I don't know what to do. Uh, was there a moment of time where you where you didn't know how to push forward and maybe felt a little bit down about it? And how did you get over that and have the patience to eventually find your right path, if that makes sense? Yeah, you know, there, there's definitely times even now where you might put out a social media post and it's not really um, being looked at or played or, or liked as many times as you would have thought. I might go out to school and do a speech and, and expecting to have a certain uh, impact and it doesn't have the impact that I thought it would. Uh, there's always different elements that take place. And so there have been times for sure that I'm going on my path and I'm like, is this really the path? Is this what's for me? Like, I know I had success last month, but this month has been dead or, you know, things aren't really going as well as I thought they would. And so, you know, the road is always up and down, right? The road, the road to success is always, you know, there's always obstacles and different things like that. And so, yes, I've had the times where I'm like, is this the path for me? Am I really, like, I think this is my purpose, but is it really my purpose? And one of the things that I have used is a inspiration folder. And so what that is, is I have it on my phone. And every time I get a message, um, a DM, a comment of someone saying, wow, Jeff, like you changed my life with that. Jeff, you know, that post was amazing. Jeff, you came to our organization. My goodness, I wanted to talk to you, but I couldn't. Or what, whatever it might say, I take a screenshot of that and I put it in my inspiration folder. Mm. Because like any other human, there's going to be times that you're feeling like, ah, oh, man, like, am I doing the right thing? You're feeling somewhat inadequate. You're feeling vulnerable. 
And when I can go back to that folder, it's a reminder that you are doing the right thing, that you're on the right path. And it's funny how that works. You know, I recall two times in my speaking career where I was like, am I really doing the right thing? Like, am I, is this really for me? And I've had people after presentations in two different situations come to me and say, that was amazing. My goodness, you changed my life. If you ever doubted what you were doing, I'm telling you now, you are walking in your path. And I was like, ooh, like <laughs> you're in my head. <laughs> you are in my head. You know what I'm saying? It's, these people in your path, right? To keep you on track, right? It's, it's almost scary. It's almost scary. And so, yeah, I will take screenshots of comments of, of, you know, different things and put them in this inspiration folder for those times when I'm not feeling as good, when I am feeling down and out, when I feel like, you know, am I doing the right thing? It helps me to continue on along this, this journey. I thank you for that because I, I have moments like that, even a couple of days ago, actually just had another moment just like that. Um, and I'm, I, I collect, you know, testimonials from time to time, but I'm going to make it my inspiration folder. That's a thing that I'm definitely going to do because I have self-doubt that I deal with uh, when it comes to, you know, speaking. And one of the things I'm going to do is definitely this. Another thing is um, just focusing on now, right now. I know yes. this is something that, that I like doing. And I'm not going to put pressure on myself to say, this is my purpose. This has to be, you know, the plan, the divine plan for me. You know what? This is my plan now. Yes. And this, is the, this is my best guess right now. And just go with that. And, and maybe that's a lesson for, for anybody listening or watching, you know, whatever it is right now, that's best for you do that. And yeah, you don't have to worry about, is this the one thing? And you probably have seen that with kids in school. Uh, they, they are not sure what career path to take. And they let that analysis paralysis set in. <laughs> and they want to do this one career. But maybe that, that might not be the one that they're eventually going to fall into long term. But right. it's just kind of getting started and say, this is right right now. Cool. It can change. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, and you mentioned it earlier with, with what uh, Jay Shetty said, is that try something new all the time because that thing that you're trying, that might not be the thing, but that thing will lead to the thing. Mm. And, and, and you know, you have to do that first thing, even though you tried and you failed or it sucks, sometimes that opens doors, ideas to that other thing. And so now that thing can really change your life because you tried the first lane. So, you know, trying the first lane and changing lanes or however you want to say it, you know, really can lead to opening up your thoughts, your minds, meeting new people as well, because there's people out there who are trying new things every day. And sometimes you have a piece and someone else has a piece, you put them together. And now you have that next big business or that next successful, you know, whatever it is that you're looking to do. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. We all have those days where we're feeling down and out. Um, Quace, I hope you know, you can always hit me up, you know what I mean, when you're having those days, because, you know, I'm grateful that you're speaking about me and what, what, you saw with my impact, but I was was blessed enough to sit in your uh, audience as well, at least in that one situation, and see the impact that you had. And you know, everybody, everyone does it differently. You know, if you look at some of the bigger names out there, you have the E.T. the hip hop preachers who are like loud and you know doing his thing, and you know that works for some people, and I, I think he's great. And then you have the ones who are a little quieter, like the Zig Ziglers. Um, you know, who, who, you know, they don't yell and scream the same way, but they're so impactful. And so some people like one style when some people like another style, you know what I mean? And when it comes down to it, you have a style that people are going to adapt to. And of course, maybe not everyone loves it. Not everyone loves my style, but so long it's about helping and serving people, the people who need to hear you will hear you. And, you know, you'll make such a big impact. You are making such a big impact. And the fact that you, just like you talked about with failure, you, you try, you, 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 know, you, you pivot, you try something new, you ask questions, does this work, does that work? That's what's going to get you to that, that goal, so to speak. So you are on the path. I, I salute you for what you do. Um, I salute you for not giving up and you know, just continuing to make the difference in the lives of the people who need to hear from you. Well, thank you very much, man. I appreciate that, uh, especially coming from your respect. You and what you do, um, both in and out of law enforcement 
And I want to really, really thank you for being on here. Um, as we close off, I just wanted to ask you, what's your either favorite book or favorite quote that you'd like to leave us with and why? And then we'll get how people can contact you. Yeah, so I, I, I can answer both of those. So my favorite book is uh, from Lisa Nichols. Lisa Nichols is my favorite speaker. And the book is called No Matter What. It's her first book and she blows me away every time I hear her voice, whether it be through her writing in her book, whether it be through uh, listening to her YouTube videos. Um, she's an amazing speaker who inspires me. And so, yeah, I definitely would say that she's a big inspiration to me. Yeah. My favorite quote, I would say, is from Marianne Williamson. And it's, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who are we to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, famous? Actually, who are we not to be? We are a child of God who's playing, who's your playing small does not serve the world. And it goes on from there. But that is my absolute favorite quote. I read it off my phone. Um, I have it as my screensaver because it's something that I want to see every time my phone rings, every time I pick it up. It's obviously the thing that we all keep on us the most. And I want to keep that quote with me because it's a reminder. Who am I to be gorgeous, brilliant, gorgeous, brilliant, talented, famous? But who are you not to be? We doubt ourselves all the time. We let the world tell us who we are. And we have to ask ourselves, who are we not to be? Like, why can't I be successful? Why can't I be the greatest speaker in my area? Why can't I write the best book? Why can't I be the best student or the best father or the best son? Why can't I? Like, what is stopping me? Set we stop ourselves. I, I love that. I love that quote too. Love Marianne Williamson. Um, just her book, Return to Love, is one of my favorite books. Yes. Uh, and Lisa Nichols is one is my favorite female speaker. Yes. Um, and I just say female because I have some males that are my favorite, and she's definitely top three all time speakers as well. Um, yes. She has a quote that says, "Some motivation comes wrapped in sandpaper," and I quote that in one of my favorite stories that I like to tell. So I'm with you on that, brother. Um, How true is that, though? Huh? How true is that, though? Some of it does come in wrapped in, in sandpaper, meaning As that the lesson we learn, it's tough. 2020 has been wrapped in sandpaper, right? It, it's been tough. Um, however, there's so many lessons that we can learn through the difficult times that we're going through. So many uh, ugly gifts we can take out of this, to quote you. A lot of them. ugly gifts, wow. absolutely. So when it comes to Jeff, make sure you go uh, Amazon. Both of these books are on Amazon. Brothers from the Six, if you have kids, especially uh, if they're a mixed racial background or black kids, white kids, doesn't matter. Bottom line is, and it's a great book and the illustration in here, I got to give kudos to your illustrator. Um, the person who drew, drew amazing pictures. Um, oh man, thank you. Yeah, um, absolutely. And then of course, New Me, which is a compilation book with Jeff and nine other authors writing stories of perseverance. So definitely you get that on Amazon as well. As we close off, Jeff, tell us where we can find you online. Absolutely. So real quick, you talked about my illustrator. He was amazing. I just want to shout him out. Mel Caspia, you are the man. I still get a lot of love from this illustration. So thank you very much for that. I just got to say that real quick. Um, <laughs> um, you can find me all over uh, social media. Find me uh, on the internet. Just Google me, Jeff A.D. Martin. And uh, whether it be social media, Jeff A.D. Martin. Uh, or my website, jeffadmartin.com. Uh, yeah, usually if you type in Jeff A.D. Martin on Google, it'll pop up. Something will pop up about me. You can find me there. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you for coming on. And uh, I appreciate you. You motivated me. You gave me lots of takeaways. And uh, thank you again. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate you, sir.